0: Let
1: me introduce you. Let me introduce you. Yes,
0: let me introduce you. Let me introduce you. Welcome back y'all to another episode of Let Me Introduce You, a Film and Friends podcast. Um hey, what do we do here? Um we are three friends from film school. We met nearly 20 years ago. Um and Every episode, we get together and introduce at least one other person to a film that they've never seen before. Um, We break it down, talk about why we chose it, our reactions, what we loved, what we hated. I love some good tension. This week, I am leading us. uh, My name is Ashley, and I am joined by my two loveliest friends, Graham. Hello. And Katie. Hi. Hi that's so good so this week we are on our third film of a theme that i love called excuse me what uh
1: so what what excuse me excuse me
2: excuse me what
0: (laughs) and if you're not sure what that means uh essentially it's films where like we cannot believe that our best friends have never seen this film. It is akin, but not the same as, but didn't you go to film school? Uh we'll be doing that theme a little bit later. Um, but no. So yeah, we're just we're just stunned, shocked, not amazed, maybe, maybe slightly disappointed, a little bit betrayed. betrayed.
1: <laughs> be- <laughs> bewildered.
2: We're <sighs> friends, so there's there's minimal judgment, but definitely judgment.
0: I, uh, yeah. I mean, there's... no, I mean
1: it's I mean, well, okay, a little bit.
0: <laughs> it's like half, it's loving judgment, right? Friendship is suffering, and with that friendship comes our judgment.
1: But I love how we didn't pick, like, Casablanca or The Godfather. We're like, working girl, and Amadeus, and An Affair to Remember. Um, yes. So this week, we are discussing
0: 1957's An Affair to Remember, Um. Which was actually, it's its closely related to Casablanca in that AFI did a 100 years, 100 passions and Casablanca got number one and affair to Remember got number five. Um, I also feel like there's like a weird birthday theme going on where when we did Graham's, it came out on his birthday. For Katie's, it came out a month before her birthday. Um, and today we're recording on my birthday. There aren't really any connections. We just oh like my talking God. about ourselves.
2: Graham, I like that you're like surprised, even though
1: even though I yes, it's your birthday. I texted you at like what? 6 a.m. this morning. It's
2: like Happy birthday. And last night. Happy
1: birthday, Eve. Yeah.
0: So um just before we dive into, um, you know, our synopsis, the box office, and why I chose it, um, which one of you, Fulios, hasn't th- seen this again?
1: I have not.
2: I have not either.
0: So. <sighs> Actually, I really love that you both haven't yeah. seen it. I'm not upset at all. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I want to be like, excuse me, what? With judgment. Yeah. There's also <laughs> that, um, what is it? I'm going to mix up the letters. Is it... Um, XKCD X. Do you know what I'm talking about? That web comic? Yeah. yeah. I always say the letters wrong, but basically right. when someone hasn't seen something, instead of judging them, you could be like, oh, you are one of the 10,000 people who are being introduced to something new. So we love to tease, but mostly we just like to introduce each other to mm-hmm. new art, whether it's low or high, or um, we're not sure. If it could actually be defined as art Paddington too. you know what i hear i hear that there should have been an oscar nom for hugh grant so so we're gonna get to that at a set we will we will get to that um graham can you give us some uh some box office yeah uh, just so we can build up some hype for katie giving us the synopsis
1: so usually with box office it's like super easy for me to go to the numbers.com or box office mojo and be like oh it opened this week But this came out in 1957, so finding like a weekly uh, box office is not easy. I did find the chart of the top films of 1957 by going to the archives of Variety. Ooh. Uh, So from an issue from back in the day, from January 1958. So it it did come out July 19th, 1957. From my research, nothing. The only other thing that came out that day was this Western called Gun Glory. Yeah. But a couple weeks before I was a teenager werewolf came out. Ooh. So that's kind of exciting. So at the end of the year, it was number 17, making 3.8 mm-hmm. million dollars. So in 1957 dollars to now, that's about 38 million. So multiply by 10. Other things around that was Jailhouse Rock. Ooh.
2: Okay.
1: Um, it was around. The movie, The Ten Commandments, which I think had came out the year before, but was still playing in theaters, and Giant with Elizabeth Taylor and and Rock Hudson and James Dean. Yeah. So oh, yeah, kind of not as easy to find, but Ooh. still, it's like fascinating to think that you know it was still a, I mean, I guess that's a hit. It it made it almost doubled its budget. So yeah. I don't I don't know how many tickets were sold based on. Based on the price of tickets back then, but you know, it seems like a solid hit.
0: They were like a quarter, right? I like to I like to um apply very deeply tinted rose colored glasses uh mm. to the past about the cost of things, yeah. at least. Right? Rose
2: champagne colored, pink champagne-colored glasses. There
0: we go. Yeah, the <laughs> bubbles also get in the way of being able to tell what was truly accurate. Well, Graham, thank you for that roundup. So, you know, it critically seemed to do well. Um, Katie. Can you tell us what this classic romantic film is all about? Because we know how much you love, love romantic love comedies. Romance,
2: love romance so much. So I usually prepare my synopsis, synopsis these. but I did was not- that a, Was that time. a
1: read of somebody on this? I usually prepare. No,
2: I I do. No, it's
1: of me. It's of me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it goes against my inner like anal- preparedness person to not do it but um Ashley had made a birthday request that uh everyone do off the cuff for this this uh theme so I am going to do off the cuff and hopefully not screw it up
0: you're gonna do great uh, I honestly you can't do worse than I've ever done
1: and Katie if you That's do it if you're you. poor you do it poorly you're gonna ruin Ashley's birthday <laughs> damn it
2: <laughs> no um yeah. okay so yes, everyone knows that uh, before I get into the synopsis, Ashley, when you introduced, uh, what we were going to be watching at the end of last, uh, two weeks ago's episode, um, you had mentioned that you like watch this with your dad and you guys watch a lot of Western. So I was expecting this to be a Western or have some Western <laughs> element in it. And I keep sitting there waiting. I'm like. I mean, do they get from the cruise boat to like the Southwest? I'm like, I can't, I, when, when, when is the Western Yeah, element? the ship
1: goes over the land to Oklahoma. Uh,
2: I'm sure that you could land and then take a, they, they built a lot of
0: wheels yeah, and axes. Um, that <laughs> is hilarious. But I kept yeah. waiting
2: and I was like, yeah. I was like, you know, cause I, I'm like, I think Carrie, like I could see where it would be like, you know, a, I could see where at some point there would have been like, western ellis so i keep waiting and i was like
0: gonna be um, a movie within a movie and then they're where are the horses
2: where are the horses (laughs) um yeah because you yeah you had talked about westerns and i was like where what's
0: happening i'm so sorry in my mind i was like that's why it's a hard contrast normally we watched westerns and civil war documentaries and classic romances
2: (laughs) yes i i i dumbly was like "And i fear to remember in in the west um so spoiler alert there is no West element of this story.
1: It's Western. Uh, just, just Western European sensibilities. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Hey, well done.
2: <laughs> uh so an affair to remember is I, I feel like you would establish this as a, a classic romance tale. Um so the movie opens with um interviewers and and TV reports and, and things like that from New York and Italy. Uh apparently. Nikki Ferrante, who is is played by Cary Grant, um, this notorious bachelor playboy is, you know, putting his his playboy ways aside and getting married to some rich heiress named Lois Clark, uh, and you know it. She's she's it's it's a whole big thing. The, the magazines are writing about it. Everyone's excited. And so he's taking a cruise ship from Italy to New York to meet his fiance. Uh, so while, you know, he's on the cruise ship, he seems bored. You know, he's walking around. People are keep, you know, ogling him, wanting to talk to him. And uh, he realized he has lost his cigarette case. And who should happen to find it? But this woman named Terry McKay played by deborah kerr and i you know it's i i I did like because uh in order to prove that the cigarette case is his he's like there's an inscription and i i was like is this is this a dirty joke and i was like i think it is because it's it's in french and it's he's he translates it for deborah kerr and it's like um you know thank you for three wonderful days on you know, La Gabriella. And that was the woman who had just called him. And I was he says it's the yacht, but I'm like, no, I think it means something mm. else. But anyway, uh okay. so it had to be sneaky to get means past those sentences. We're
1: having intercourse. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh he meets he meets Terry McKay and uh he they start to have a tete a tete and uh you know there's a lot of like flirting and and she you know calls him out immediately she's like oh you know you're you're used to a lot of women and blah 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 blah, blah. uh but anyway despite her best efforts they they strike up a i don't want to say friendship but like a flirtation and an affair perhaps not yet you're spoiling it not yet so they they uh they wind up like going to dinner and uh, the the flirting becomes more intense and uh everyone else on the ship is very aware
1: of what's going oh, on and they are invested
2: they oh, are no. extremely
1: invested. <laughs> it's so, um, so they are like the paparazzi before paparazzi existed. yes and, and this is before uh, eight and a half so yeah
2: Yes. So Nikki and Terry think that they're being very discreet. They think they're being very clever. Uh, you know, there's, there's a hand touch or they're, they're trying to these little maneuvers, but everyone knows what's going on. Um, so anyway, they have this whole cruise and in the middle of the cruise, they go to see, uh, they go to Italy and they meet, uh, Cary Grant's grandmother. It's a very like beautiful romantic scene where the grandmother clearly sees that there's something going on between Mm -hmm. Nikki and Terry, uh, the grandmother's adorable by the way. Uh, so anyway, the cruise comes to an end and, uh, you know, Nikki and Terry are like both engaged to other people or not. Uh, Terry's not engaged, but she has a boyfriend. And so they're like, okay, if we were to change our lives, if we were to really change our lives, if we really wanted to go for each other, let's meet in six months. So get your affairs in order. We'll meet in six months at the top of the Empire State Building. So they both leave. They both go off with their respective partners, immediately break up with them. And uh, Nikki decides he has to make himself an attractive mate. So he tries to um, you know, establish himself as a painter and start to make money. Uh, Terry uh, exploits, you know, her singing capabilities. They both kind of make it on their own. Six months comes. They're both ready to meet. Cary Grant is at the top of the empire state building. Uh, Deborah Kerr is there and she's, she's rushing off to meet him and she it gets struck by a taxi and oh. is paralyzed. <sighs> So, uh, Cary Grant is a little sad boy at the top of the Empire State Building, never getting to meet, uh, his love and months and months and months goes by Deborah Carr never for some reason tells him this, uh, because she's too embarrassed. I guess she has too much pride that he wouldn't either love a, a woman who can't walk or whatever. Um, so, you know, time goes by, they, they seem to get over it and then they, run into each other at a ballet, both with their exes, which is heart-wrenching. Oh. Um, and then so the later that night, uh, uh, Nikki tracks down Terry and goes to her apartment and she sits on the couch the whole time and she doesn't tell him why she didn't get up to meet him. And at the end, Nikki is like, okay, well, here's here's my dead grandmother's shawl that I promised you I'm going to go. And then he's like, by the way, I painted you and uh, I was going to give it to you. But some woman came into the gallery and she was so moved by it. I told the art gallery person to to take, give her the painting, but she, uh, you know, he mentioned she was, she was in a wheelchair. He said that she couldn't walk. And then he realizes that she was the one who bought, who got the painting. She was the one who's in the wheelchair. And uh, then they have a very. Very romantic moment, and and they end together. The end. (laughs) I hope that was okay.
0: You did wonderful. You did wonderful. You had all the major plot points. Um, I just finished the movie a few
2: minutes ago, so it's (laughs) so it's still fresh. (laughs) It's still fresh.
0: (laughs) I love it. Yeah, that that is an affair to remember. If you haven't seen it, and if you haven't, excuse me. What? Excuse me. What? (laughs) It is. A fucking classic. Uh, it is referenced in a myriad of things. Um, but what was most memorable to me in terms of being referenced was Sleepless in Seattle. So in my household, uh, we we're big Meg Ryan fans in the 80s yeah. and early 90s. Well, as forth. every household who, should who be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, She was America's sweetheart for so long. How could you not love Meg Ryan? I swear... I've probably seen When Harry Met Sally a hundred times. Like we, that was our, that was my mom and my's go-to movie. That was a movie we would watch all the time. It's a good so one. it's
2: a good
1: one.
0: Yeah. So if Meg Ryan was in something, then of course we we're going to watch it. So we watched Sleepless in Seattle a number of times. Also contained um, America's male sweetheart, Tom Hanks. Who doesn't love T. Hanks, right? And I think this is where it came from. I think I, I can't remember exactly. Um, and I can't really ask my dad because his memory is not super reliable anymore um, about how it came about. But I believe we had watched Sleepless in Seattle or had watched it a few times. And in that, Rita Wilson has this moving scene where she describes an affair to remember because um, Meg Ryan's character suggested that they meet at the top of the Empire State Building um, on, on Valentine's Day. And she's just like getting all choked up. It's, right. It's and so I good. Oh, it is. so! I just watched that clip today and I was like, why didn't I rewatch that whole movie? So I think (laughs) we might watch that tonight instead of the Super Bowl. Um, And I think from that, I think my dad was like, oh, well, I don't think we've ever shown you an affair to remember. So then we watched it. And then I think my dad and I would just watch it just every so often. Like it wasn't as much as when Harry met Sally, but it was a nice way to connect with my dad, who is a very loving person, but he doesn't, he's not great with emotions. Um, He doesn't know how to express it. The man's 85, right? He was born in the thirties. He was raised in a generation where even though, you know, these are some of the films that he like grew up with or were popular when he was a young adult. um, That just wasn't what was expected of men um to be in touch with that and he had his own kind of like rough upbringing so he didn't really his mom wasn't really in his life to provide that for him um so it was a nice way to be able to see like a different side of my dad for things that he wasn't necessarily able to express um and it was just—I don't know—it just leaves a little, little warm thing in my cold black heart. No, I
2: love that. I love, yeah. I love a dad, you know, connecting with his daughter about a movie that he loves. That's not, you know, traditionally a masculine movie. Like I like that he wanted to show you this not only because he thought you would love it, but because he loved it. And because, yeah, it's not—it's not a yeah. traditional like masculine movie that fathers bond over with their daughters. So I love—I love that.
1: That's great. Yeah.
0: Oh. Katie Graham, I am curious, um, since, excuse me, what you'd never seen this, uh, what you had heard about this film or, cause there are a lot of very subtle references to it throughout popular culture, but just like, what did you know about it before you actually watched
1: it? Well, beyond Sleepless in Seattle, I knew I was aware of the Warren Beatty and Annette Benning remake. Of oh. love affair in 1994, and I think that was on HBO a ton growing up.
2: Well, clearly, I thought it was a western, so I didn't know that much about right. it. But you know, I mean, like I'd heard about it, but you know, we didn't we we're, we weren't a romantic comedy household, so this was this was not something that like I don't think my parents have seen it, uh, or if they did, they they haven't told me about it. Um, it was just out of our out of our wheelhouse of it. Um, exploration and uh so yeah I, I i didn't know really anything about it like i've seen sleepless in seattle once mm-hmm. um so i remember that scene now that you mention it but watching this movie i the only thing that i was thinking of sleepless in seattle was like oh, okay they meet at the top of the Empire State building yeah. i get it i get it it's connected uh but that's that was about it for my my frame of reference
1: i would love to hear <laughs> Graham, you go first thoughts. I loved this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and you know I'm not an emotional person. No, um, no, you do no, not numbed at all. As you're describing the ending, I'm ac- I actually was like starting to tear up <laughs> in this Zoom call. I was so... I guess when, when I watch older movies, I don't expect... Sometimes I don't expect the writing to be so... I feel like the conversations they were having in it were conversations people could have today. It didn't seem like very dated. Um, their chemistry was off the charts. I felt, um, and I believed their relationship through and through. I think a problem with romantic films is that people fall in love really quickly after over like a day or two days and this felt really organic and I think it's because they approached each other at the beginning so just like oh this this guy or this woman whatever Mm -hmm. and then it was just this general like they were attracted not only for how they look but how they treated one another um and I also just liked how adult everybody behaved in this uh but thinking about their their like his fiance and his and her boyfriend, like they all handled this so maturely. I know, right? They're like, oh, okay, I get it. Like that's fine. You don't want to be with me anymore. That's fine. um But it was just this, the way they all treated one another was just very adult, and I, I was really moved by just the compassion all of, all of these characters had with one another. I don't know. It's just the ending. I knew the ending because it was in Seattle, and I didn't expect it to hit me like a ton of bricks, like it did. I actually texted Ashley. I said, I'm sobbing. And you you said, I'm sorry. I go, no, it's a good sobbing. So (laughs) I I I know. I'm
0: sorry, (laughs) question mark.
1: Like, like I was, I watched this alone and there were some lines that were said or some things that happened. And I just like, I just held my heart. I go, oh yes. (laughs) Like there is a scene of a very subtle gesture when they are getting off of the, the boat and both of their, partners are there and it's like the last time they're going to see each other for the intended 6 months and Carrie Grant walks by she's hugging her her boyfriend and he touches her hand mm-hmm. and then walks away and she just takes her hand and puts it up to her face and it's just like oh that was hot i just thought it was <laughs> it was just uh, it, it, i did not expect to love. i mean i thought it was going to be a solid movie but I absolutely loved it and for a for an hour and 57 minute movie it packed so much in but it didn't feel it didn't feel rushed it felt just I just thought it was a very organic story I absolutely loved it so you thank you Ashley I'm just I'm just so happy this movie is in my life now
0: (laughs) yay you're welcome Katie I'm knowing Uh. you thought it was
1: Gonna turn into a western at some point. I did. No, but no. I no, also, also love the shootout at the OK Corral. It was so <laughs> amazing.
2: Excuse me, what? I missed that God. part. I. <laughs> uh, so everybody knows that like romantic movies aren't my favorite, but I do. I do. Everybody
0: love knows them. that Katie hates love.
2: I do hate love. I. Uh, but you know, I watch them from time to time. Um, and I. So first of all. I like movies from this era because I like the fashion and I like the colors um you know the the Technicolor of the time uh and the the sets and stuff like and how how glamorous everyone was like people when you're on a cruise ship they dress up and they go oh to God. dinner every night and like she just her outfits were fantastic oh. it mm-hmm. makes me want to like for just like a casual, like, Oh, I've got to go to the mall or, Oh, I've got to go wherever I'm going to put this very nice dress on my opera gloves and my little hat. Um, so I, I loved all of that. I love the delicateness of like the cigarette case or her little purses or like, that was all lovely. Um, you know, I like, I, I love Italy. I, I, you know, I've been to, I've been to Sicily. I've been to, Northern Italy, I've been to uh, Malta and all, all around that area. So anytime a movie is is showing that setting and going to the grandmother's house and Deborah Kerr is just like, I love this. I want to live here. And I'm like, no, me too. Um, so I love the setting. I like the costumes. Um, I as, as I'm watching this, I'm like, I know I actually love this movie because the main lead actress is a redhead. She's a Ginger, um, Deborah yeah. Kerr she did uh but you know this so this movie was you said 1957 correct uh so it might remind, she reminded me of my grandmother a lot my my mom's mom because they both looked very similar they had very did uh similar color red hair my grandmother uh, a lot of old folders of her looked that way um you know i didn't have the best relationship with her i didn't know her super great but in my head i'm just like i feel like that's what my grandmother would have been like when she was young um you know i like the love story i like that you know carrie grant is like you know a rogue or a cat and um he genuinely has a change of heart so yeah i thought like it was it was fine it was good
0: it's fine guys it,
2: it bothered I me that, it. that she didn't just tell him hey i had an accident not my fault i still love you because they she put them through that misery um without like they they didn't have to go through that those months and months and months of heartache and um you know horribleness they she could have just told him hey i was in an accident if you want to still love me cool if you don't awesome but like they went through all that that horrible pain for months for like no reason
0: so I want to dive into that. I want to give us a little bit more background to this, but then I really want to get into that because that was that sort of idea at the time. Critics, some critics were really went after that and others were mm. like, it's an epic love story. So uh, just to give you all some more background to this, this is actually a remake of 1932's love affair. Mm. Um, apparently I pick remakes and I don't know that I'm picking remakes. So <laughs> as much as I give uh, Modern film a hard time for remaking IP. I guess I really like it when people do that. The story was by Mildred Cram, um, and the screenplay was by Delmer Daves or Davies and Leo McCary. Um, and the director is Leo McCary. Leo McCary actually directed this in 1932. The story is pretty close. There are some differences. And the reason it got remade is because Cary Grant at first turned down Leo McCary. He was like, I don't really like this guy's improvisational style. And he wasn't really into it, but then he ended up being on the set a lot of love affair and regretted not being in it. And so years later, he basically convinced Leo McCary to remake it with him in the title role. Um, and what I love about some of this, I didn't realize, I always think of, I always think of movies back in the day, the ones that I like that are very quippy um, and just like fast dialogue and sassy and like Humphrey Bogart. Right. And Lauren McCall and all of that. I really I really love that. But I think of that always as really good writing. But what I love about this is that there was actually a lot of improv and Leo McCary encouraged that in his actors. And it really makes me think about that process of creating art. Um You know, y'all, I talk a lot about how the things that I watch now are just kind of like the junk food and like they're fun and they're fluffy and they don't make me think deeply about how you're making art. Like I've for some just disconnected from that. But there really is such a truly collaborative process between what is that source material, how is the director leading and guiding actors and actors fully embodying who their role is enough for you to be able to improv as that character and not as yourself. And I think a lot of times we can look at films and be like, I could do that. I could do whatever. But then when you really start to think about it, you're like, can I hit my mark? Can I live in that moment? Can I just continue to go on and be so wrapped up in the art that I'm creating?
2: I did. I did. You know, I thought I didn't know that it was improvised, but it, it did feel a lot of the dialogue felt very genuine because there's some times where like, Deborah Carr and Carrie Grant are talking and she's they're like, oh, did you say something? What? Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. And,
2: uh, you know, it felt it felt more authentic because it felt like an actual conversation that two people who you know, two people are flirting or something. There's that always that level of awkwardness, you know, and it felt like that it, it made the dialogue feel more genuine between the two of them, at least. Yeah. And it's
0: not like as far as Mumblecore where like there's a general story and the actors just completely make it up. Like there yeah. was a script. Right. And so it is guiding and there is leading. But to allow actors to play and a lot of it ended up in that final cut. I just think I'm just fascinated by that because I think I have a hard time getting so into something hmm. at times. Um just, just talking a little bit more about the, the main two people. are the only people we really care about. I mean, we love these <laughs> supporting players, but whatever. Um, Cary Grant, uh, if you are not familiar, get familiar <laughs> with this man, all right? You probably know him from North by Northwest, Bringing Up Baby, yes! Philadelphia Story, To Catch a Thief, motherfucking Notorious, which if either of you haven't seen that, we are totally going to watch it. I fucking love Notorious. Um.
2: Was he like the George Clooney of his, of his era? He,
0: he is the reason why George Clooney can be George Clooney.
2: That's what I figured.
0: Right. Like he, so he was actually born Archibald Alec Leach. Um, He is British. So obviously I have a a love of British men.
2: His name was Archie Leach. Yes. That is the name of John Cleese's character in A Fish Called Wanda.
0: <gasps> I bet it's totally a reference. That's to him. so
2: funny. I had no idea.
0: Right. So he became Cary Grant. And like uh one time an interviewer said, Everyone would like to be Cary Grant. And he is said to have replied, So would I. <laughs> and I just like it's the self-deprecation. Like, apparently Mae West wanted him for this movie. She'd done him wrong because she saw him as a combination of virility, sexuality, and the aura and bearing of a gentleman. Like oh. he is just this consummate. He is Cary Grant, right? Like yeah. I can't even explain it. And he was and the, fifty-three when yeah. this movie was
1: made, so like he's full in it. He also there were so many rumors about him being gay.
0: Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he lived. He, that too. he
1: lived with his best friend Randolph Scott for a long time. This very very handsome man. So there was always mm. like talk that that or he thought he was bisexual. So he's mm-hmm. so that's uh, so he took when he took his shirt off in the polls like hi. Okay. <laughs> Hello. Also, like men just look different back then. Like the the build was was different.
2: Yeah. Did he did he dye his hair for this movie? Does anybody know? Because I, I I was noticing some like lighter, but it was around the entire head, not just the temples. Mm. So I was wondering if he dyed his hair. But I do like the 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 cleft chin.
0: AFI named him the second male star of the golden era or the golden age of Hollywood cinema. Um, Who was so- one? Humphrey Bogart.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah.
0: Yes. So you can also see, like, y'all have known me for so long and you have seen me date a lot of different people. So you can probably see some of that pulling out of like some of the archetypes of men. Um, I used to be really into skinny hipsters, but now I'm like, I want a man. Right.
2: Well, I let, yeah. Well, yeah,
1: Bob yeah. is skinny.
2: Yeah. And he's a hipster. He's skinnyish, yeah. but he's not like
0: heroin chic hipster. Right. Oh. But he's also looks like a man, you know, like I yeah, look he's at got, some, He's got abs. I've seen him.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen him too. Yeah. They're I was just like
0: I look at his face and I'm like, you look like a man. And then I look at pictures of him when he was in high school and I was like,
2: you look like such a kid.
0: Because <laughs> he was. Right. But it's
2: that, it's that like dry delivery sense of humor and jokes and stuff that I can mm-hmm. definitely like see in Bob. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just that very understated like, I'm gonna make this joke, and if you get it, you get it. If you don't, I'm just making it for myself.
0: Yeah. So I'm not gonna explain it to you, I'm just you just have to. Graham, it's interesting what you said about um folks thinking that he was gay or bisexual. So thinking about, you know, when he was living and the acceptance or non-acceptance. Um, and a biographer said that he had invented a man of the world persona and a style, like high comedy with polished words. And so it's interesting for me to learn that and see, like, I wonder how much of that too was creating that persona. So that's what people perceived so then in his private life he could be more himself or you know to
1: protect himself yeah yeah I think it's oh no go ahead go ahead
2: I was gonna say people say that about George Clooney too
1: I think it's a lot of gay men who just want him to be gay
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean that could be it but I mean you know George Clooney isn't as far as I know, live with a uh, with his best friend. So, you know,
1: right. Well, and also, the, you know, let's just say these are alleged, of, you know. So, oh, but know. you know, for for the time period, yeah, it, may, it makes sense if if that were to be true. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: oh. Little word about Deborah Kerr.
1: A lot um, of words. Little, little many words.
0: Many words about Deborah Kerr. Just a, a little dusting right now. Her nickname was the English Rose, as Katie said, she, as far as I could tell in this film and what I looked at, she was a ginger. So I just loved, I think I love obviously seeing any redhead representation, right? Any person likes being able to see themselves in any media, whether it's film, TV, magazines, books, et cetera. It's great to be able to see someone who is like you because it also helps you to to kind of explore who you could be, right. Or who you might want to be. Um, But for this little ginger, it was especially helpful. I think a combination of my mom raising me as like a very, like, I don't know, what was she like second wave feminism, like staunch, you take care of yourself. Right. And then watching these films and seeing these really strong women who are not going to let some playboy like fuck with them and give them a hard time or like, they can just give it right back. Love that. Um, But for a really long time, she was just playing these prim and proper English ladies. So she was actually in From Here to Eternity with Burt Lancaster, that famous scene where they have a romp on the beach, which I think was introduced to our generation through Dawson's Creek.
1: Do you remember that? Didn't watch Dawson's Creek. I don't remember that in Dawson's Creek. Okay,
0: maybe I'm the only one who remembers Dawson's yeah. <laughs> Creek so well. Um, I was really into it when it came out. I don't know. It's not that great of a TV show. No, oh, no, uh, it's, it's not. <laughs> no, but Deborah Kerr holds the record for the most Academy Award nominations for Best Actress without a win.
2: Oh, bummer. Yeah. But don't worry, in
0: 1994, she was given an honorary Oscar for her screen achievements. So a um,
2: bone, I get it.
1: Given to her by Glenn Close. Ooh. Who also is, I think, now the most nominated actress without a single win. What the fuck? Give Clem Close her statue.
2: That's fine. She'll get her. Should have got it for her.
1: 101 Dalmatians. That oh is amazing. I'm not kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the thing is like, Paddington, oh, Paddington, Paddington 3. Paddington
1: 3. Your lips <laughs> to Paddington's ears. <laughs> Um oh they God, were so <laughs> sorry, I'm just, I'm just I'm not thinking about what Glenn Close could do as a villain in Pennington 3. Oh, yeah. She would be amazing.
0: She'd exactly. be phenomenal. Yeah. Um so yeah. Um they also thought about doing Ingrid Bergman or Doris Day, but I think it's really, it's really Deborah. Oh. It's really Deborah Kerr. Um and I love that scene in Sleepless in Seattle where uh, Rita Wilson goes, is it Kerr or Carr? Yeah. And Tom Hanks and Victor Garber both say opposite ones. Yeah, Look it up, people. Yep. Look it up. So, yeah, let's get into, Katie, you were talking about, really, I feel like there is this whole love story. But to me, it's really the ending that I know the most. Like, right, there's that buildup, I think. You know, She could already tell she knew who he was. Right. She knew that he was this playboy and that like, yeah, he's finally settling down. So I don't think she had any intention to lure him in, but I think she knew this is a guy who's so used to getting what he wants and I'm not going to play into that. Right. I'm not going to fall for this, whatever. And that was mimicked by the grandmother. Right. She said he's always interested in the painting. He can't have he can't anything else. And some critics had had criticized, like, why would they wait six months? Like, that seems so ridiculous. It's like she knew, she knew how strongly they felt, but that for him, it might be a bit of a flash in a pan. So she knew that, like the classic old phase, absence makes the heart grow fonder. She knew that she had to put some space between them. I think she also knew that she needed it for herself. Yep. to realize like, is that really, do I really want to give this up or is this really real? Or is it just, we were on a cruise ship for X amount of weeks together and it's this weird cocoon.
2: Yeah, no, no, no. That's not, that's not what the thing I had a problem with. Cause I thought that was very smart, you know, for two people who have this like very like setting specific affair. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was extremely intelligent that like, you know, let's give it a six month cool off period. Like, I thought that was great. My my problem was uh, after that. So when she gets in the accident, like, mm-hmm. she, and and then doesn't make any contact with him at all after that, that was the thing I was like, why'd you do that?
0: So I think it's, Graham, I'm curious to know what you think about this as well. For me, I took it as it was a place of deep pride And the current understanding of what it was like in the 50s for someone who had a disability, right? You know, back then there were, you know, there wasn't the Americans with Disability Act. It was kind of, people basically treated a lot of disabilities as a death sentence. The fact that she was still kind of living on her own um, and she was still able to work. Like I know, like my dad's mom, she had a brain tumor in the middle of her head and had strokes on both sides of her bodies. Like in her mid thirties, she went into a nursing home with, you know, just like elderly folks. Right. So they, I, part of me can see where, It's that pride and it's that fear, but part of me also wonders if it's that misguided love of, I love this person so much and I know that he's such a great artist and I know that he loves me and would give up everything for me. So I'm going to remove that choice because I want him to live out this life. But there is that not talking to them. Like, what if for him, the best life is with her?
1: Mm, I agree, Ashley. That's how I read it. Exactly. Exactly.
2: I mean, I could see it where, like, if she didn't want to tell – pride aside, where she didn't want to feel like if he knows this bit about me, then maybe he'll feel obligated to take care of me and to be with me and where she would be like, you know, I want you to be with me because you love me, not because you feel like I'm this person that he needs taking care of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I get that. I'm just like, oh, you could have just – It, it didn't seem – It didn't seem to come from a place of love because if there was mercy, she would have just, if she wanted him to move on and and do whatever, she could have just been like sent him a a telegram or a letter and just be like, goodbye.
1: Yes. Valid as well. (laughs) I don't know. I just, for some reason I completely bought into it. I thought that it, it just for the sake of the story made sense to me. The reveal that she wasn't able to walk was also done in a very like (gasps) Oh, <gasps> kind of way because I did because <laughs> they're at they're at the opera and and her delicious. Ex, I know my friend who I Google mm-hmm. shirtless. His name is did. Richard Denning. If you want to enjoy some things, Google Richard Denning shirtless. Um, you'll like it. <laughs> but he's like, he I'll I'll be back in a moment, and he comes r- around the corner with it, and I went <gasps> like that. That was one of the moments <laughs> that I. Did. Watching, I did love.
2: I did love the ex boyfriend. Like he was so happy to see her when she gets When she gets at the boat, and he looks adorable, and he's just, I liked him. And
1: when she comes back to like buy something to wear to meet up with him, Mm -hmm. and he's just like, "Hi, how are you?" It was just this, uh, like we should all have ex ex boyfriends that are so kind. (laughs) He clearly loved her so much.
0: It was a little borderline because he basically had that shop call him when she arrived so it was like a little a little whatever but but so sweet that like he wanted to pay for everything right and he was still willing to like he wanted to take care of her and he had all this money but like Terry knew that Nikki was he wasn't rich on his own although like grandma just died like sad but like also that woman had money so clearly there was some family money that could have taken care of him we- but he wanted
1: to it on his own for her, right? And to, I, I, wonder if, Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I just wanted to talk about the grandma so, <laughs> so badly.
2: I'm so full of grandma love. I need to talk about. Let's it.
1: talk about grandma. I did not see that. I mean, I don't know how 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 convenient that my grandma lives in this town that we're docked in. Um, first of all, it's Kathleen Desbet who who's seen the original Parent Trap. Are you? I'm not seen either me? of them. Wait, which which one is
0: considered the original? Nineteen sixty one,
1: with Haley Mills and Haley Mills. Oh,
0: okay, yes, but it's like a vague memory.
1: Okay, you need to watch it. It. She plays the the Boston grandmother in it. I was like, that voice is so familiar. Um, but I I thought her scene was just so unbelievably lovely. And what killed me was when the they're all like chatting and they're playing the piano. And the 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 boat horn like blows, and she's like, "This is it. They're leaving. Like like I'm go- like this is probably the last time I'm going to see him." Kind of. There was so much said in that moment, and then for to find out later on that she has passed. But mm-hmm. like, what a way to come in the movie and like just wallop the audience with this just like mm-hmm. beautiful emotion and uh, helping them see their connection to one another. Oh, I just love that scene so much. And the remake in the 1994, it's Catherine Hepburn.
0: Oh,
2: Ashley, have you seen the remake?
0: I have not. um, I have not seen the 1994 version of Love Affair. I also haven't seen the 1932 version. I feel like I should probably watch them now. If I had been um, on top of things, I would have watched them ahead of time. But we know that I do a lot of B-minus work. (laughs) (laughs) But hey bees
1: get graduate degrees so that's how i'm coasting through the rest of graduate school you know actually from what i've read about love affair 94 you're you don't need to waste your time <laughs> just like
0: try to see if there's like a yep. a, a super cut of the watch best part
1: watch a clip yeah.
2: yeah graham you mentioned uh you know the and that was something i thought this movie did very cleverly too and i don't know if it was part of the improv but uh they take advantage of dialogue list moments and reaction shots and communication without dialogue. And they do it a lot. Um, you know, the scene, you know, when, when they're leaving the boat and they both kind of like communicate, yes, this is my person. This is your person. And that scene with the grandmother, I thought, I thought a lot of this movie's strengths was saying what the audience was hearing in their head in a visual way. Um, in that moment where like the moment that hit me the most was when and this is totally dumb but uh Deborah Kerr is just told that her boyfriend that she's in love with with someone else and uh, she stands by the balcony of her apartment and the she kind of like nudges the edge of the window with her shoulder and the window pane opens up to a reflection of the Empire State building and i was like Yes. That is clever. It's
1: clever. Yeah. And the remake copies that you watch the preview for the re- and they copy it. it. It's I was like again another <gasps> moment.
2: <laughs> I loved it so much. I was not expecting it. I was like, did they plan? They must have planned that. Yeah.
1: That I was think, I think they planned it, Kate. You think? I think I think I think it's a set. And
2: <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't real. God.
1: Movies are real, accidental. Katie. <laughs> I think so. (laughs) Katie's like, "Oh my god, how kismet!" You know they do that,
0: Graham. You'll know what this (laughs) is. What was that movie with Meg Ryan and Kevin Klein that took place in French Kiss? Thank you. They they do something like that in French Kiss as well, where you see the Eiffel Tower. Um, But Katie, you're really touching on something that I feel like sets things to me. It sets apart, like average to below average filmmaking to thoughtful, intentional filmmaking, where I think some people are like, oh, that's kind of obvious. But it's like it's that's what is so great about film as a visual medium. And I think there's also complaints, too, when people are like, oh, if it's adapted from a book, there's not enough. And it's like, well, you have to visually take things in. And when there are those subtle movements or those placements and and all those things like I give Wes Anderson a lot of shit now because I just feel like he keeps making the same film over and over again, but his films are so visually beautiful and so rich with so much detail that there is so much to see. And it's not like, oh, I'm just shoving a bunch of stuff in there. Like each of those things is a choice and there is a reason for having it there. And to me, that just takes filmmaking up another notch. And obviously with like seeing the empire Stabling, it's a little bit more obvious, but I think that can go across a spectrum. And to me, that's what makes films so interesting. The ones that you want to rewatch and pick up on more of those subtle pieces, kind of like what y'all were mentioning with Amadeus where I'm like, "Oh, I probably miss some things and I need to go back and watch it and see another layer of meaning or impactfulness."
2: I do in I do think all three movies that we watched under this theme were a treat for the eyeballs. Like each of them was very visually like like I'm just like there was always cool stuff to look at or watch in in all three. Yeah,
1: Harrison Ford taking his shirt off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yes. Joan Cusack's uh, eyebrows. John Cusack's makeup. Yeah. Yes.
0: yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, for this, um, it actually got nominated for a few different Oscars. Um, it sadly did not win any of them. Um, but it was nominated for best cinematography, best costume design best score and best song so the song a fair to remember was written for this movie um and katie i gotta agree with you y'all so um i have been trying to work on getting back into being stylish when we met in college you i was i would like to say i was pretty stylish
2: you were the most stylish Mm -hmm. i i Mm -hmm. wanted i was always like the heels that you wore the color coordination (laughs) like everything i was like i want to look like ashley I'm so mad that I don't
0: stop. Stop. No, I used to get really into it. It was funny. It was like when I hit my thirties and my body had changed quite a bit. I went from like being very active in the classroom to being in a desk job. Um, And my body changed. And all of a sudden, like, thanks society for all the things you're telling me. I just like, didn't want to be looked at. So I started wearing, I wear almost exclusively black and gray and some white now. Um, And just things that aren't aren't form-fitting like I used to when I used to feel more comfortable, but I've been trying to get back into my, um, the uh, sartorial style that I aspire to, which is pretty slash threatening. And I think a lot of these films, like film noir and other things, are where you see women who are wearing things that really, like, it's not revealing, um, but it's, fitted in such a beautiful way and there is such a specific style to it and I wouldn't like I think I'm trying to go for sort of like a dangerous dame vixen style look and I wouldn't describe Deborah Kerr as that but she has such a distinct style right and there is there is that focus on things being well fitting and well made and we just, we really miss out on that now with so much fast fashion, right? It's like, oh, things are constantly changing and doing whatever and wear this, wear that. It's made like shit, do this, whatever. But when you get pieces that fit you really well and meet that internal style, that's just not trying to constantly keep up with trends. Like that's fucking timeless. And that's, I don't know, that's what I want to go for. And that's what I see in this film.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, the the key difference is tailoring. Because uh, you know, I am very lazy and don't want to get things tailored. But when I do, uh, then it fits perfectly. And I'm the same way as you. I'm like, I've always kind of wished that I could be like a Dita Von Teese, like very like oh, polished and yes. put plate- I know, I'm like, I I love, love, love Dita. But uh I You
0: would really like Christine McConnell too. Mm-hmm. I, yeah.
2: But I I I don't have the time to go and get things tailored, or I don't feel like spending the money to buy the things that I'm going to invest in getting tailored. Mm
1: -hmm. And,
2: um, I like being comfy. So what do you have like a style icon or someone that like you aspire to dress like? That is a great.
1: No. question. Oh, yeah. I'm always curi- no, I have no. I I'm always serious with
2: men. <laughs> yeah, um, I have the rib. same
1: shirts that I've owned since like 2010. I'm not one of those like homosexuals. i like I need to be on the like the <laughs> the forefront of fashion, but like no, no,
2: no, I mean, no. always look good. You do. Thank you. And no, and, and it not not like a, more of a question is like from from a man like a man's dressing mm. perspective as as opposed to to a gay man's perspective. Like who who are the style icons for men? Um, like as, as someone that you'd like aim to dress like, cause I could see where it would be like a George Clooney or like, the the ones that I've seen are like George Clooney or like, uh like Idris Brad Elba. Idris, El- Ooh, yeah. mm. Idris Elba. Yeah.
0: That man looks so good in just like a Henley as he does in a tuxedo. Mm-hmm. Mm. True. And I think it's also just the confidence that you have yourself right and the things that are just imbued in yeah you know.
1: when you put on a suit i feel fucking powerful
2: right
1: yeah sometimes i just put it on <laughs> Grim, it. Speaking,
2: speaking of things that make you look powerful i was looking so ashley you texted us on this old text chain and i was looking at the images from there and graham you sent a photo from halloween where you're wearing like a Scoutmaster's uniform that was like three sizes too small
1: yeah for my muscles <laughs>
2: I loved it. I loved it so much. I don't even really know what you were dressed up as, but I was like, "Graham."
1: It was a bunch of uh, somebody. We dressed up as boy scouts who had been attacked by sharks.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah. But it was gonna be a Moonrise Kingdom uh, no, nod. But I was like, "Cool, let's do it." But I love it, it. it was basically an excuse for us to like tatter our clothes and, and places to show off different parts of our bodies.
2: <laughs> well, you looked wonderful. Nice. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
1: Nice.
2: Yeah.
0: I think, Katie, circling back to you, oh, I'm sorry. Did I back. just toss in circling okay. back? Disgusting. We have not been lost. <laughs> Going back to your previous point, um, <laughs> I think there is a slight part that feels a little unrealistic of her being in this accident and no one ever finding out about it, right? I think, obviously, without social media and everything else it's easier to kind of keep secrets but it seemed like they were sort of in similar ish or similar ish enough wider circles that at if she just dropped out of nowhere people would know like you know she went up and she was performing in boston and so it could be like oh she's not in there she's not in the city or whatever but i think that is the one part that feels slightly unrealistic or unrealistic for nick to not have tried to like hunt it down and figure out like why she wasn't there. But I also wonder if they were trying to play on his pride of rejection because he's clearly a man who's never been rejected before. He is the man who does the leaving and does the rejection. And so it's almost like he was still so in love with her, you know, so much of his art that he created was about her, but there's still that wound. And I think that's too something that speaks to the, when people are in love or you allow yourself to love and be loved, you don't always think the most clearly, right? Because it is both wonderful and terrifying to be known by someone else. And I think that is what I saw in their on-screen chemistry and their back and forth. Like, even that early, there was that connection to be known by that other person. Right.
2: That yeah, maybe he needed maybe maybe it wouldn't have gone as well if she had shown up because then he wouldn't ever have gone through that that experience of getting rejected and led to personal growth, etc. Yeah,
1: quick aside. Um, I was very amused by all the children singing in this.
2: I know me too.
1: That 20-minute scene where they're singing that one song, and <laughs> I
2: thought it was really cute,
1: it was really cute, yeah. I
0: love how I'm the only one who currently works with children. And I'm like, ugh, I was oh. kind of annoyed by those It's Like, I'd completely forgotten they existed. And I was like, mm-hmm, yep, I get that it shows how she's a music teacher now. But I was like, but what really is the point of these songs? Like, I
2: did think two was over the top. They would have been over fine with one. Yeah,
0: yeah. I did like how sweet she was, though. You know, like, she still found a way to connect. She didn't fall into, like... Utter despair or anything else. She doesn't I, become bitter. Yeah. And totally fine if you do. Like that's your prerogative. You get to feel however you want to feel. But I did appreciate that she was still wanting to find meaning and beauty and like do it on her own like you know her ex-boyfriend was like I will pay for everything and she's like nope I want to be able to you know take care of myself and clearly he was paying for a lot of those medical bills let's be honest and like she lived in a real nice apartment but she was trying right she was trying to do it on her own
2: trying to make a make both trying to better themselves from the inside out
0: exactly Oh shoot, you know what I forgot to research, but I would be interested to hear from any other listeners if you know about this or you know, if we're talking about anything else. When Bob and I were watching it, he was reading at the same time, it was kind of going in and out, but like their first kiss was actually off screen, right? They were walking down the stairs. Yeah, stage I like up. that. I like that. And like at the end, they embrace in a hug, but they don't like smooch. Um, and she, like, and licks
2: they're really his ear like, oh, oh, like that.
0: <laughs> it makes me wonder <laughs> about Gross. 1950s and just like the censors and what you have to get by. And you know, like the one thing that I do remember, it wasn't that time period. It was a little bit later. But like if there were scenes in bed, like each actor actress had to have one foot on the ground. You know, so that it just looked a little bit more chaste, and so I would be interested to know if there's anyone else out there who. I mean, when I'm having sex, that. I have
1: one foot on the ground all the time. So <laughs> chase my foot on the ground. <laughs> I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I don't
0: know. I was like, because you're trying to make sure you can run away
1: after it's for leverage, it's for balance, it's for balance, it's core work. It's called (laughs)
0: sexual prowess. Look it up. Excuse me. Well, I think that's a really great note yeah. to <laughs> wrap up on. I would like to do uh, just a tiny, uh, inspired by Katie, um, a little mini let me introduce you.
2: Ooh. Mini, let me introduce you. Um, burp this time. I'm really proud of
0: you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> We're semi-professionals here yeah. we're amateurs but we have a great time uh, and that's all that matters so as i have owned a home and gotten more into my own personal um style and aesthetic which my personal style is what i'm going for is pretty slash threatening but the aesthetic for our home is sumptuous gothic with like a little scandinavian <laughs> influences i just want it to be like lush and lived in, but a a little bit creepy and scary. Um, so anyways, um, someone who I started following on Instagram and I subscribed to her, um, how do you say it? Patron? No, Patreon Patreon. Thank you. I never know how to, sometimes I only, I read a lot of things and I don't know how to pronounce them. Um, and I don't, when people use videos and words without captions, I don't pay attention. So I'm like, I have to really care about you to unmute my phone to hear what you're saying. So use fucking captions, please. Um, Is Christine McConnell. So she is an artist. She is friends with Dita Von Teese. Uh, She had a one season show on Netflix that was basically about like baking and sort of like home stuff. And Dita Von Teese plays this ghost who lives in her mirror. Um, And I just think she's fascinating like her voice is super soft and she looks like really sweet she's got like the big like 50s hair with the curl but then she's making all these like creepy baked goods and like bats and things oh. out of fondant and all of these things and she has Graham I think you would like it because she has a few like characters that are basically puppets yeah like I've, puppets.
1: I've, I'm realizing I watched her I've watched an episode or two of this yeah
0: yeah and she only had one season of that, which is such a bummer because I was like, okay, where are the home makeover shows where you just make a house like cool and creepy and just like elevated Gothic, like expensive Gothic. So I highly recommend um, checking that out. And if you're trying to live, uh, more into being a dangerous dame or a vixen. I also recommend checking out, um, pinup girl clothing who oh, yeah. I have found a number of pieces that I'm lusting after. Um, and it is not fast fashion. So it's a little more expensive than what am used to spending, but I'm like, mm, but it's high quality. So, uh, yeah, yes,
2: I just gave her a follow.
0: There you go. Um, It'll be, it'll be fun. I think she has like a YouTube series as well. Obviously I haven't dived into it enough, but I've got a lot of uh, intentions and ideas. So getting back to an affair to remember, uh, what I would like to know is, would you watch this again?
1: I would.
2: I guess. I don't know.
0: It's exactly what I expected both of you to say. (laughs) Um, You know what? I'm okay with it. Katie, you watched it and I I I paid,
2: I paid and I watched it.
0: Yeah, me too. I was wondering, should I buy it? But I was like, I'll just rent
1: it.
2: They have my money now. I can never get that back.
0: Yeah. Amazon took $4 for me. So Graham, how did you watch this?
1: Uh, Amazon, but I have a gift card.
0: Well, there you go. All right. Well, hey, Graham, what's coming up next week?
1: Next week, we are wrapping up our, excuse me, what? theme? Me, what With one that, like, I can't, like, oh, Katie, I can't even with you. I can't um, even. So next week, we have a guest. We have my wonderful friend, Kyle McDaniel, coming on. And he has picked a film that is basically my childhood and one that Katie has not seen. We are talking about jim henson's labyrinth like i I don't even know
0: how you be born in the 80s and not have seen labyrinth
1: get ready to dance the magic dance oh my god oh my god oh my god cod pieces i remember we went to the david bowie
0: where did we go and there were three people dressed up as Jared. yeah
1: yeah, it was at oasis in san francisco yeah it's i love that place Katie, I can't wait for you to see this movie. I can't wait to watch it for the literally 300th time. So, but Kyle not, is, I like really hope you like it. No, no. If Katie, honestly, like if you, you know what? If you don't like it, that's the final episode of our show. <gasps> no! so, I'll guess it over.
2: I'm sure I will. You know, I like 80s movies. I like puppets. I, you know,
1: it is a trip. John,
2: John. John Henson. It was John. Henson, Katie, right? John now Henson? you're
1: That's no. <laughs> a. Okay, <laughs> that was from an episode last year. I'm
2: Little sure it sh- be really great.
1: Little Shop of Horrors, everyone lets him do it. It's a great episode. It's great. Um, But Kyle is amazing and he is going to have so much to talk about. So I'm looking forward to that in two weeks.
0: Yay. It'll be lovely. Well, y'all, thank you so much for indulging in this 1957 romance. Oh, um, I look forward to continuing to go back into film history. I cannot wait to tap back into my love of film noir and um, start to introduce you to some other stuff that you are not like, Oh, this is actually filmmaking. Good job, Ashley. Good job. Good job.
1: And then we'll do camp rock too. please the original is so much better yeah
0: anyways y'all thank you so much for joining us um please follow us on our social media handles what are those katie
2: it's on instagram at let me intro you pod and twitter at let me intro you although i don't update it
1: yeah. Please rate uh, and review us. Yes, yes please. That's please that's do. probably
2: the, the like aside from Instagram, that's the best way to interact with us. Yeah,
0: yeah, yes. Do please it. do. Um, and if you don't like Spotify anymore, you can find us anywhere that podcast can be found. So, Correct. find your favorite podcast application and uh, please give us a listen and a review. Until next time, y'all. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye. 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 bye, bye.
1: Let Me Introduce You is a podcast hosted by Graham Veth, Katie Kubert, and Ashley Crone. Music by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. Make sure to follow the Let Me Introduce You podcast on Instagram at Let Me Intro You Pod and on Twitter at Let Me Intro You.